Welcome to Markets Plus, where leading experts from across BMO discuss factors shaping the markets, economy, industry sectors, and much more. Visit bmocm.com slash markets plus for more episodes. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. Welcome to another episode of Markets Plus. I'm John Uren, Head of Sustainable Finance Product Strategy on BMO's Sustainable Finance Team. Today, we're going to dive into the topic of cybersecurity and how it's a key environmental, social, and governance, or ESG, concern. Cybercrime cost over $3 trillion last year, with a cyber attack occurring every 11 seconds. The average cost of a cyber attack is around 150 k a number that's grown substantially over the last several years. Now, these are costs associated with remediating the cybersecurity breach, but there's additional costs related to lost goodwill and lost consumer confidence. When Facebook had a major cybersecurity incident in 2021 where over 500 million user records were lost, that impacted their customers' confidence. And as companies continue to digitalize and business models shift to incorporate a complex mix of technology and data supply chains, Coupled with attackers getting smarter and more sophisticated, it's clear that companies and governments cannot afford to ignore cybersecurity. Joining me today is Andrew Matthew, head of BMO Capital Markets Global Transaction Banking. Andrew works with companies to, among other things, help them minimize financial losses that are caused by cybersecurity breaches. Thanks for being here today, Andrew. You're welcome. So to start, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your role at BMO? Yeah, sure. So I'm a managing director uh, for Global Transaction Banking for BMO Capital Markets. So that means we work with large corporates, predominantly in the United States, but also globally to help with their uh, treasury and payment needs. So I helped oversee this for BMO. And my prior life uh, was working in the consulting industry for, for 10 years consulting with CFOs for Fortune 500 firms on strategy and finance transformation. You know, my, my experience with, with, with cyber is that given our client base, I tend to get a lot of calls from senior executives when bad things happen. So have seen firsthand when breaches occur with our clients and have, have worked hand in hand with our clients to remediate the breach and put some structures in place to prevent it from happening in the future. So pleasure to be here today. And I think this is a incredibly important topic for, for us all. Great. Thanks, Andrew. So, so let's dive in then on the topic of cybersecurity sure. and, and, and at a high level, you know, what's the risk to companies? What's the risk to investors? Is it purely financial or is there more at stake here? Yeah. I, I, from my perspective, the, the risk is existential. Uh, this is an existential threat to many an organization, including ours. Uh, so taking our, ex- our organization for as an example, our, our main business historically is to hold and secure people's money. This is money for groceries, money for rent, money for college funds, money for retirement, money to acquire another company, uh, and so on. So we are a trust-based business. And, and if, if a bank is incapacitated, due to a cyber attack and a customer cannot access their money uh, for these groceries or, or to fund an acquisition closing on a specific date, we have a problem. And the problem is not one of inconvenience, but it's one of existence. We just might not exist in the future if, if this persists. And the same story permeates other businesses across the United States. So 
for me, this is not just another threat, but this is an existential threat and, and the risks to uh, organizations uh, globally is grave. I, I like the way you put, I mean, I don't like it insofar as it terrifies me, <laughs> but an, an existential risk and threat. I mean, you know, we've seen over 200% rise in attacks against financial companies specifically annually over the last several years. So just a dramatic impact on yeah. financial companies, financial institutions in particular. And that sort of aligns with what you're talking about in that it's not just our balance sheet, our treasury and payment solutions group that are being attacked. It's literally the money that our clients rely on for their operations, for their business as usual to keep their lights on. So it impacts all of our customers in a way that very other sectors, you know, that are impacted have such sort of long reach vis-a-vis their customers, the way that financial institutions do. So it is existential. That's scary, but, but a good way of putting it. What are you seeing and hearing from clients around the, the risk of cybersecurity and the threats to their business? Yeah, sure. Kind of like the pandemic, it's now in its endemic phase. So it, it's everywhere. It's ubiquitous. Every company in America or globally, for that matter, I think uh, has dealt with this or will have to deal with it in the future. So it, it, it's everywhere. And for my seat, we, we mostly get involved when, when, with clients when money has left their organization. It's a reactive involvement for us. I, I wish it wasn't. But I would say nine times out of 10, we work with clients or we get the calls from clients only after something bad has happened. And that usually is when money has left the door and they want it back. I wished nine times out of 10, I was called proactively. And I, I wish I worked with those clients to get ahead of those measures. And I, and I wish that they're thinking about that so we can flip the script there a little bit. But what we're seeing is an increase in external threat actors, uh, hackers, and organized crime. And what we've seen most recently and read about um, in in various studies is collusion between external and internal threat actors. And that's a a scary prospect because it increases the strength and effectiveness of the attack because you've got someone on the inside and someone on the outside collaborating, colluding, et cetera, which just makes the threat even more serious. You know, ultimately, these bad actors are are looking to monetize their efforts. They're just trying to perpetuate payment fraud. And I know we stereotype organized crime or bad actors as a bunch of middle-aged men, you know, sitting in a smoky back room, scheming on how to lift a tractor trailer of razor blades or something. But it's it's not like that. Um, The reality is organized crime has gone online and they are seeking to commit fraud from the, the comforts of their living room armed with blazing fast computers and the latest equipment. So they've gone online just like we've gone online throughout the pandemic. And probably the most frequent and toughest thing that we we get calls from clients on is wire fraud. It's usually through business email compromise. It's usually the easiest thing to mitigate, but the, the hardest thing to remediate because we have to work with the clients to get the money back, which is hard to do. And usually the size of the money that's left is quite significant. And I was reading one stat from the FBI that um, said something like $2.4 billion was lost last year just through business email compromise. So it's a significant risk. A lot of money moves out um, of the rightful owners. So definitely something that we, we see continue to be uh, on the rise. Interesting. I mean, that, that comment you made around the rise in both internal and external threat actors. So I I think I always thought of 
a lot of the you know the bad actors being outside of organizations but they're even more effective if they're they're you know have some form of collusion with internal actors as well that's that's really interesting and i think that just sort of hits home again for the different companies and financial institutions the requirements and the importance of having really you know thoughtful and forward thinking compliance programs within the organization to not only catch external bad actors but to be you know reviewing different you know emails suspicious emails that are sent reviewing you know fraudulent behavior and activities that occur within the organization and and the good news is that's within an organization's control the bad news is it's never going to be easy to be in front of like you said you're more reactive than proactive in trying to prevent some of these activities from happening so you're always kind of reacting to the next you know, the next incident, the next plan, the next activity that could be fraudulent in nature. So it's just an interesting way in, to think about cybersecurity in terms of that internal threat as well. So yeah. let me switch gears a little bit, Andrew, because sure. you've explained to me in very real terms what the threat we're facing is and how it's an existential crisis in, in, in many ways and a threat to the entire you know economic ecosystem that we we live in, but let me, let's talk a little bit about ways that you know BMO is looking to partner and support our clients. Like, what are some of the initiatives that we have within our bank that are looking to support our clients in that reactive state, so that we can you know help them either get the money back or prevent it from happening altogether? Sure, sure, yeah. And we've been here as an institution for over two hundred years, and it behooves us to do everything and anything we possibly can to to last another two hundred years. And, and as mentioned, it's all about having people trust in us with their money. So we, we do a lot. One of the, the big things that we do is fund and operate a world-class financial crimes unit. And this unit combines world-class expertise from the cyber world, from the fraud world, physical security world, crisis management world, law enforcement world. And that team works together globally to, to, to detect, prevent, respond to, and, and help recover from security threats. That is the, the front line, so to speak, and, and we invest a heck of a lot in that because we need to protect our reputation, protect our regulatory ratings, and ensure that we, we last uh, another 200 years. We also develop a lot of internal practices and technologies uh, for our own needs, and sometimes we make those available to the marketplace as well. One of the, the tools that was recently developed was called OLLI. It's it's uh, acronym for Operational Loss Intelligence Tool. And, and this is a tool that ingests uh, internal and external data, flows it through some machine modeling and AI, and, and signals when operational losses are likely to happen. So that's been a, a useful tool that, that, that the bank has developed and is now making available to the market. We're doing lots. And, and I think the best place to, to, to take a look at that for any of our clients that are interested in what we're doing and what they can do is to go to bmo.com slash security, and they can see what we're up to and download resources that, that they can use. I have to imagine machine learning and AI is, is critical to the response to a lot of these, you know, these bad actors in terms of, you know, how can we understand at a, at a machine or technology level around what the risks is, but importantly, around how to trace where the money has been funneled to and ultimately where it resides so that we can try and retrieve it. I think trying to do things manually, like you talked a lot about wire fraud as an example, I, I would have to assume 30 years ago, it was literally trying to trace that wire and, and retrace 
the steps to find out, you know, which island that money was residing in. But now I, I have to assume using AI and, and you mentioned the OLLI, the, the operational loss intelligence tool, I have to think these are critical to the to the ways in which we are assessing, you know, both the activity that occurred, but importantly, like how we can actually try and mitigate some of the loss or risk associated from the action. Yeah, it, it is. And what I will say is the new technology helps. The old process and procedures and technology is, is still incredibly relevant because the first thing that you should absolutely do if a wire fight happens is pick up the phone and call your banker. And then that banker will use um, its relationships, the, the processes, the technologies, and maybe even pick up the phone too to that bank that received that money to try to get it back. So it, it is a blend of new technology, but, but also uh, proven practices and technologies that have worked in the past too. And I would say that speed is, is, is critical. So technology is fantastic, but the, the speed element of, of reacting to something is hyper important. And, and that only comes with uh, humans changing the way they respond. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit here and, and touch sure. on, you know, cybersecurity from an ESG perspective. So I, I dabble in the world of ESG and sustainable finance. We talk a lot to both investors and companies around different ESG risks, opportunities, threats that they see uh, that are critical for both sides of the investment ledger. And, and, you know, obviously the E in ESG from an environmental perspective gets a lot of attention. I've, yeah. I've heard that being called an existential risk that we all face in terms of global warming and climate climate change and, and, and understandably so as we see some of the yeah. major literally right literally <laughs> literally yeah so yeah. we're dealing with a couple of big risks on, on this podcast it's a light one but you know equally important if and if not more important arguably in the near term is you know the social and governance type risks that you know we that don't get taken for granted per se but that are critical to the overall success and just operations of a company on a daily basis and when we think about cybersecurity, you know, we think immediately, what's the impact that a major breach can have on your customers? And that's a social risk, right? And so what is the company doing to try and mitigate against those material cybersecurity risks? From a governance perspective, what, you know, policies, procedures, oversight does a company have in place to try and prevent these types of, of threats from, from materializing or trying to mitigate them from becoming something much larger than, you know, that Facebook threat that I talked about earlier in 2021. And it's critical because not only does a company care about it from an ESG perspective and, you know, in the light of what their customers think of, but investors and particularly institutional investors have, have told us time and again that cybersecurity threats are critically important in their investment decision-making. So when they're thinking about different companies to invest in, one of the screens a lot of institutional investors are putting on their investment is, is cybersecurity. It is how is a company mitigating cybersecurity? And, and yes, it deals directly with some of the cybersecurity type risks, but it's also almost a proxy for other major risks that a company may face as well to say, okay, if they've been thoughtful around these major social and governance type risks, it's likely the case that they're also thoughtful in approaching different environmental and other social and governance risks as well. You know, you have most Fortune 100 companies anyway disclosing cybersecurity as a material risk now in annual reports, disclosing how they're, they're mitigating this risk in, in great detail. So it's, it's clear that it's important to investors. It's clear that it's important to companies. And I think this is a trend that we'll continue to see into the future. You know, as I alluded to in my opening comments, this isn't something where 
we've seen something historical as it relates to these threats and some of the losses associated with some of the major cybersecurity attacks, I think they're only going to get more pronounced as, as we move forward. So from an ESG perspective, both on the investment as well as the issuance side, I think this is critical and top of mind and probably the type of topic that keeps a lot of CEOs, CFOs, C-suite position you know, type actors up at night thinking about this risk, this existential risk to their business and, and really how to prevent a, a serious fraud, you know, on their books. But I wanted to ask you, Andrew, like how else should investors or companies, you know, how should they be thinking about achieving privacy or enhancing privacy and security within their organization in today's increasingly online world? The way I would think about it would be three things. Like the first, the single most important thing you can be doing as a board member, the senior executive, as an employee, is helping to establish a culture around fraud prevention. It seems simple. It's incredibly difficult to do that. And it includes things like leaders holding regular discussions with, with employees about fraud, implementing processes and procedures to mitigate your exposure, and so on. It's, it's all the basics, but you got to do them, and you got to do them day in, day out, and you got to do them well. It takes a village to combat these risks. And so job number one is creating a culture around that. Then, and only then, you can augment this culture with IT solutions, antivirus software, malware software, tools that monitor your systems versus behavior. They all exist. They're all out there. There's great uh, solutions for you, but you got to build that on top of culture. And then finally, practice. Uh, organizations should work through scenarios on what they would do if a fraudulent event happens. They should seek to learn from that experience, uh, document it, do it again and again and again. It seems simple, a simple thing to do, but uh, organizations can really learn a lot by putting themselves into the situation and seeing how they would react. So uh, from, from my vantage point, you got to first uh, build that culture, layer on the IT solutions, and then uh, practice uh, to see what you would do when an event happens. I think that's good, Andrew, because especially in changing culture or building culture around fraud prevention, I mean, we talked about a lot of threats being both you know, internal as well as externally you know, developed. And if you have that internal culture as of one where there's an acknowledgement and understanding of the risk to the business, the existential risk to the business that, that this could present. Then you have sort of all employees bought in on the importance of taking these types of risks seriously, the importance of flagging, you know, different suspicious behaviors and actions internally when they're seeing them. Once you layer on that IT solution and then build it out and test it through the scenario analysis, it's, it's almost like any good risk management practice where it starts with people. But ultimately, you need to understand and quantify and qualify what are the risks that you're facing and how would you appropriately deal with a variety of risks before they happen and do that in sort of a test scenario or test basis. And I think that that third part is really important because scenario analysis is something that that takes time, focus, efforts for organizations to do. It's not easy to necessarily run through the world of potential scenarios that you don't even know what they could be, but you're you know, trying to best position yourself to deal with them or mitigate them in future. But it's an important practice because 
Yes, you may not have the exact scenario in the future, but the way your team through the culture you developed responds to that risk will be something that will be able to be replicated or at least the process as well. And, and hopefully that prevents maximum exposure from the, the risk. Well said. Yep. So I wanted to just leave, if, if you could leave our listeners with you know one more thought, one main finding, one idea that you have that you wanted to impart on the listeners around you know, the risk of cybersecurity and, and how different organizations should be thinking about it. Like, what would that be? I would leave listeners with this. Cybersecurity is now a boardroom issue, undoubtedly. Uh, and it's been a boardroom issue for some time now. The board has a fiduciary obligation to its shareholders to protect the organization from risks. And this is a grave risk. And, and if they fail to meet those responsibilities, there's liability for the institution, but there's also business risk. You know, if you just look at some regulatory enforcement actions, you know, regulators are looking at how you know data is properly collected, maintained, secured. Just look at some of the the, the FTC investigations that have gone on, uh, and, and equally as importantly, when there is a failure, it can disrupt uh, an organization's ability to deliver on its commitments to shareholders and to its employees which typically fall into S. And so business operations loss happens, uh, loss of brand recognition happens, legal actions, as I mentioned, happens, uh, loss of shareholders, stock price happens. And these are all very serious repercussions. We're talking about money, we're talking about businesses, we're talking about lives, we're talking about employment. So you got to take this seriously. And, and, and frankly, I don't care if cyber sits in an S or a G or both. It's just got to be in your framework somewhere. It's just an integral part of modern accountability in the world that we live in. There's really no way around it. So that would be my parting thought here is it's irresponsible not to have cyber in your framework. So just put it in there uh, and, and, and be serious about it and look for ways to measure how you're doing in this area. Well said. Well, thanks very much, Andrew, for joining the pod today. Really appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. This has been fun. Thanks for listening. You can follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. For more episodes, visit bmocm.com slash markets plus. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns, Inc., and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options or any other activity, which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. 
BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests, and you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets, insecurities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of, issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For full legal disclosure, please visit bmocm.com legal. To access our full disclosures for equity research reports, please visit researchglobal0.bmocapitalmarkets.com slash public disclosure slash.